Section 9 of The Black Poodle and Other Tales This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin The Black Poodle and Other Tales by F. Anstey The Wraith of Barnjum, Part 2 I began to stay at home sometimes in the evening when I observed that the phantom had an unpleasant trick of illuminating itself at the approach of darkness with a bilious green light, which, as it was not nearly strong enough to enable me to dispense with a reading lamp, merely served to depress me. And then it began to absent itself occasionally for days together, and though at first I was rather glad not to see so much of it, I grew uneasy at last. I was always fancying that the Psychical Society, who are credited with understanding the proper treatment of spectres in health and disease, from the tomb upwards, might have got hold of it, and be teaching it to talk and compromise me. I heard afterward that one of their most prominent members did happen to come across it, but, with a skepticism which I cannot but think was somewhat wanting in discernment, rejected it as a palpable imposition. I had to leave the rooms where I had been so comfortable, for my landlady complained that the street was blocked up by a mob of the lowest description from seven till twelve every evening, and she really could not put up with it any longer. On inquiry I found that this was owing to Barnjum's ghost getting out upon the roof almost every night after dark, and playing the fool among the chimney-pots, causing me, as its apparent owner, to be indicted five times for committing a common nuisance by obstructing the thoroughfare, and once for collecting an unlawful assembly. I spent all my spare cash on fines. I believe there were portraits of us both in the illustrated police news, but the distinction implied in this was more than outweighed by the fact that Barnjum's wraith was slowly but surely undermining both my fortune and my reputation. It followed me one day to one of the underground railway stations, and would get into a compartment with me, which led to a lawsuit that made a nine-day sensation in the legal world. I need only mention the celebrated case of the Metropolitan District Railway versus Bunting, in which the important principle was once for all laid down that a railway company, by the terms of its contract, is entitled to refuse to carry ghosts, specters, or any other supernatural baggage, and can moreover exact a heavy penalty from passengers who infringe its by-laws in this respect. This was, of course, a decision against me, and carried heavy costs, which my private fortune was just sufficient to meet. But Barnjum's ghost was bent upon alienating me from society also, for at one of the best dances of the season, at a house where I had, with infinite pains, just succeeded in establishing a precarious footing, that miserable phantom disgraced me forever by executing a shadowy but decidedly objectionable species of can-can between the dances. Feeling indirectly responsible for its behavior, I apologized profusely to my hostess, but the affair found its way into the society journals, and she never either forgave or recognized me again. Shortly after that, the committee of my club, one of the most exclusive in London, invited me to resign, 
intimating that by introducing an acquaintance of questionable antecedents and disrespectable exterior into the smoking-room, I had abused the privileges of membership. I had been afraid of this when I saw it following me into the building, arrayed in highland costume and a tall hat, but I was quite unable to drive it away. Up to that time I had been at the bar where I was doing pretty well, but now no respectable firm of solicitors would employ a man who had such an unprofessional thing as a phantom about his chambers. I threw up my practice, and had no sooner changed my last sovereign than I was summoned for keeping a ghost without a license. Some men, no doubt, would have given up there and then in despair, but I am made of sterner stuff, and besides, an idea had already occurred to me of turning the table upon my shadowy persecutor. Barnjum's ghost had ruined me. Why should I not endeavor to turn an honest penny out of Barnjum's ghost? It was genuine, as I well knew. It was, in some respects, original. It was eminently calculated to delight the young and instruct the old. There was even a morale or two to be got out of it. And though it had long failed to attract in town, I saw no reason why it should not make a great hit in the provinces. I borrowed the necessary funds, and had soon made all preliminary arrangements for running the Wraith of Barnsham on a short tour in the provinces, deciding to open at Tenby in South Wales. I took every precaution, travelling by night, and keeping within doors all day, lest the shade, which was deplorably destitute of the commonest professional pride, should get about and exhibit itself beforehand for nothing, and so successful was I that when it first burst upon a Welch audience from the platform of the assembly rooms Tenby, no ghost could have wished for a more enthusiastic reception, and for the first and last time I felt positively proud of it. But the applause gradually subsided and was succeeded by an awkward pause. It had not struck me till that moment that it would be necessary to do or say anything in particular during the exhibition, beyond showing the spectators round the phantom, and making the customary assurance that there was no deception and no concealed machinery, which I could do with a clear conscience. But a terrible conviction struck me as I stood there bowing repeatedly, that the audience had come prepared for a comic dialogue with incidental music and dances. This was quite out of the question even supposing that Barnjum's ghost would have helped me to entertain them, which, perhaps, I could scarcely expect. As it was, it did nothing at all except grimace at the audience and make an idiotic fool of itself and me, an exhibition of which they soon wearied. I am perfectly certain that an ordinary magic lantern would have made a far deeper impression upon them. Whether the wraith managed in some covert way when my attention was diverted, to insult the national prejudices of that sensitive and hot-blooded nation, I cannot say. All I know is that after sitting still for some time they suddenly rose as one man. Chairs were hurled at me through the ghost, and the stage was completely wrecked before the audience could be induced to go away. It was all over. I was hopelessly ruined now. My weak fancy that even a spectre would have some remnants of common decency and good feeling hanging about it had put the finishing touch on my misfortunes. I paid for the smashed platform and windows with the money that had been taken at the doors, and then I travelled back to London third class that night with the feeling that everything was against me.
It was Christmas, and I was sitting gloomily in my shabby Bloomsbury lodgings, watching with a miserable, apathetic interest Barnjum's wraith as, clad in a Roman toga, top-boots, and a turban, it flitted about the horsehair furniture. I was wondering if they would admit me into any workhouse while the spectre continued my attendant. I was utterly and completely wretched, and now, for the first time, I really repented my conduct in having parted with Barnjum so abruptly by the bleak cliff-side that bright June morning. I had heard no more of him. I knew he must have reached the bottom after his fall because I heard the splash he made, but no tidings had come of the discovery of his body. The lake kept its dark secret well. If I could only hope that this insidious shade, now that it had hounded me down to poverty, would consider this as a sufficient expiation of my error, and go away and leave me in peace. But I felt only too keenly that it was one of those one-idead apparitions which never know when they have had enough of a good thing. It would be sure to stay and see the very last of me. All at once there came a sharp tap at my door, and another figure strode solemnly in. This, too, wore the semblance of Barnjum but was cast in a more substantial mould, and possessed the power of speech, as I gathered from its addressing me instantly as a cowardly villain. I started back and stood behind an armchair, facing those two forms, the shadow and the solid, with a feeling of sick despair. "'Listen to me,' I said. "'Both of you, so long as your, your original proprietor was content with a single wraith, I put up with it. I did not enjoy myself, but I endured it. But a brace of apparitions is really carrying the thing too far. It's more than any one man's fair allowance, and I won't stand it. I defy the pair of you. I will find means to escape you. I will leave the world. Other people can be ghosts as well as you. It's not a monopoly. If you don't go directly, I shall blow my brains out. There was no firearm of any description in the house, but I was too excited for perfect accuracy. "'Blow your brains out by all means,' said the solid figure. "'I don't know what all this nonsense you're talking is about, "'but I'm not a ghost that I'm aware of. "'I'm alive, no thanks to you. "'And, to come back to the point, scoundrel!' "'Barnjum, and alive!' I cried almost with relief. "'If that is so,' I added, feeling that I had been imposed upon "'in a very unworthy and ungentlemanly manner.' Will you have the goodness to tell me what right you have to this ridiculous apparition here? He did not seem to have noticed it particularly till then. Hello, he said, looking at it with some curiosity. What do you call that thing? I call it a beastly nuisance, I said. Ever since, since I last saw you, it's been following me about everywhere in a, in a very annoying manner. Will it be believed that the unfeeling brute only chuckled at this? I don't know anything about it, he said, but all I can say is that it serves you jolly well right, and I hope it will go on annoying you. This is ungenerous, I said, determined to appeal to any better feelings he might have. We did not part on, on the best of terms, perhaps. Considering that you kicked me over a precipice when I wasn't looking, he retorted brutally, we may take that as admitted. But by all events, I argued, it is ridiculous to cherish an old grudge all this time. You must see the absurdity of it yourself. No, I don't, he said. I determined to make a last effort to move him. 
"'It is Christmas Eve, Barnjum,' I said earnestly. "'Christmas Eve! Think of it! At this hour thousands of throbbing human hearts are speeding the cheap but genial Christmas card to such of their relations as they consider at all likely to respond with a turkey. The costermonder, imaginative for the nonce, is investing damaged evergreens with a purely fictitious value, and the cheery publican is sending the member of his village goose club back to his cottage home, rich in the possessions of a shot disabled bird and a bottle of poisonous port. Hear my appeal. If I was hasty with you, I have been punished. That detestable thing on the hearth-rug there has dogged my path to misery and ruin. You cannot be without some responsibility for its conduct. I ask you now, as a man, nay, as an individual, to call it off. You can do it well enough if you only choose. You know you can. But Barnjum wouldn't. He only looked at his own wraith with a grim satisfaction as it capered in an imbecile fashion upon the rug. Do, I implored him, I would do it for you, Barnjum. I've had it about me for six months, and I am so sick of it. Still he hesitated. Some weights outside were playing one of those pathetic American melodies. I forget now whether it was silver threads among the gold or in the sweet by and by, but at all events they struck some sympathetic chord in Barnjum's rough bosom, for his face began to twitch and presently he burst unexpectedly into tears. "'You don't deserve it,' he said between his sobs. "'But be it so!' Then turning to the ghost, he added, "'Here, you, what's your name, Avant? "'Do you hear? Hook it!' It wavered for an instant, and then, to my joy, it suddenly gave all over, and shriveling up into a sort of cobweb was drawn by the draught into the fireplace and carried up the chimney and I never saw it again. Barnjum's escape was very simple. He had fallen upon one of the herring boats in the lake, and the heap of freshly caught fish lying on the deck had merely broken his fall instead of his neck. As soon as he had recovered from the effects, he was called away from this country upon urgent business and found himself unable to return for months. But to this day the appearance of the wraith is a mystery to me. If Barnjum had been the kind of man to be an esoteric Buddhist, it might be accounted for as an astral shape, but esoteric Buddhism requires an exemplary character and years of abstract meditation, both of which conditions were far beyond Barnjum's attainment. The shape may have been one of those subtle emanations which we are told some people are constantly shedding, like the coats of an onion and which certain conditions of the atmosphere and the extreme activity of Barnjum's mind under sudden excitement possibly contributed to materialize in this particular instance. Or perhaps it was merely a caprice of one of those vagrant poltergeists, or supernatural buffoons which took upon itself very officiously the duty of avenging my behavior to Barnjum. Upon one point I am clear. The whole of this system of deliberate persecution being undertaken directly on Barnjum's account, he is morally and legally bound to reimburse me for the heavy expense and damage which has resulted therefrom. Hitherto I have been unable to impress Barnjum with this principle, and so my wrongs are still without redress. I may be asked why I do not make them the basis of an action of law, 
but persons of any refinement will understand my reluctance to resort to legal proceedings against one with whom I have at least lived on a footing of friendship. I would fain persuade and shrink from appealing to force, and besides I have not succeeded as yet in persuading any solicitor, even a shady one, to take up my case. End of Section 9 The Wraith of Barnjum Recording by Joyce Martin